Hey, so we're finishing the book of Ruth today. There's four chapters in Ruth. We're in chapter four today. So we're going to be done with the book of Ruth. Next week, we're doing a psalm. Does anybody remember which psalm we're doing? 139. You guys are pretty good. I, a lot of mumbling. I don't know if you said 139, but it seemed like you said something. So I'll say, I'll, we'll just pretend you all said Psalm 139. Who's actually read Psalm 139? Raise your hand if you've read it. Okay, the rest of you have homework to do. Read Psalm 139 before next weekend, and Pastor Dave is going to be preaching on that. I'll be here, I just won't be preaching, so that's going to be Pastor Dave, Psalm 139. After we do Psalm 139, what book are we going to do? First Thessalonians, you mumblers, that's right. First Thessalonians, five chapters, so you have two weeks to get that homework done between now and two weekends from now, to read the, first, uh, the five chapters of First Thessalonians in one sitting. So try to get that done in one sitting. It'll take you 25, 30 minutes. You'll be blessed. So Psalm 139, 1 Thessalonians, uh, I think that's it. Okay, then one last thing. It's been a few weeks, maybe even a month or two, that I've talked about our church plant in Heath, Texas. Man, they're just, they're getting her done, man. So here's just some photos I thought would be fun to show, and then I'm going to share with you just some things that are happening there um, under pa- Pastor Chris's leadership. We're just really, really excited. So if you remember Jenny, who was the administrator here for about 14 years, she's now the administrator there, living out there in Texas, and so she sent me some notes um, of some cool things that are happening. This past week, they launched four um, community groups uh, in their church, which is fantastic, right? Their children's ministry, it's one of the hardest areas to get workers is in children's ministry because there's, so, there's just so many classrooms that need to be um, equipped, right? They now have a full, a number of teams, of full teams, so that everybody can now sit in church two or three Sundays a month. The, the, the first people that were doing children's ministry had not been able to go in church for like three or four months. They'd have to watch it online because they just didn't have enough teams. So they got enough robust teams that now most people can get into church most of the time, which is just, it's just God's provision. Um, their attendance has uh, reached triple digits for the first time since the grand opening because the grand opening doesn't really count. A bunch of people show up for the in and out truck, which we had. It's partially true. Anyway, um, so they had triple digits for the first time since the grand opening, which is just amazing. So the Lord's given them momentum. And then here's a cool story. She writes this. Jenny says, one family shared that they came from a Catholic background, and this has been their first time in church in a long time. And they just purchased their very first Bibles and are reading the word for themselves. Is that fantastic? Mm. God is good. So if you're praying for Heath, thank you so much. If you're not, if you think about it, throw up a prayer now and then. Pray for Pastor Chris and Renee and their kids and the leadership team there. They're kicking butt and taking names, and we're just so proud of them. So, so proud of them. Okay, so we are in Ruth chapter 4. If you're not there, you can kind of work your way over to Ruth chapter 4. We are in the New American Standard Bible. If you're looking on your phone, that's the one you want. And there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you need one, take one home. Okay, so I'm going to open up with this, this letter that this man, this really, this love letter that this man wrote to his wife. If you think this might be you, men, at any time during the reading of this letter, feel free to raise your hand. If this sounds like you, just raise your hand, okay? Don't be shy. One day a man was writing to the love of his life. We're going to call her Betty. And he wrote the following. <laughs> My dearest Betty... I love you beyond words. Webster does not have in his dictionary the necessary vocabulary to explain the depth of my love for you. 
Thoughts of you dance across the portals of my mind. Already that's not me. I don't even know what portals of my mind mean. Thoughts of you dance across the portals of my mind. You are my all-consuming passion. Is this anybody here yet? No? Men? Okay. Maybe if I read more, this, will, this might be your letter. So enraptured am I regarding my love for you that the Pacific Ocean would be like a pond if I had to swim it. I could do it as long as I knew you were awaiting me on the other shore. The heat of the Sahara Desert would never impede my progress to you, knowing that you would be an oasis that would refresh me when I arrive. Any takers yet? Men, I hope you're taking notes, man. There would be no inconvenience I wouldn't endure for you. Climbing Mount Everest would only seem like getting over an ant's hill if I knew you were at the precipice. All I'm simply saying to you, my darling, is that my love for you transcends time and space. Signed, Sam. But there's a P.S. I'll see you Saturday night as long as it's not raining. (laughs) Isn't that just funny? Yeah. Did you raise your hand? Right? It's like, that might be my letter. Boaz didn't write that letter. Boaz would have wrote everything about that letter except for that P.S. part. That's Boaz. Everything in that letter except the P.S. is Boaz. And everything in that letter is Jesus Christ, who Boaz represents. He foreshadows the coming of Jesus Christ. Church, let's read chapter 4 of Ruth, okay? Ruth chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. If you remember, when we left chapter 3, Ruth goes into Boaz and she asks him to redeem her, to marry her, to be her near kinsman redeemer, her related kinsman redeemer. And he says, that's all good and fine, but there's actually a relative of yours that actually has that first place. I'm in second place of family. And so he, at the end of chapter three, he says, I'm going to take care of it. Um, And that's how chapter four starts, right? Now, Boaz went up to the gate. That's where official business was conducted. It's like the city hall. And he sat down there and Behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke about was passing by. He said, hey, dude, turn aside. Sit down here. And the relative turned aside and sat down. Then he took ten men from the elders of the city, and he said to them, sit down. And so they sat down. He needed some witnesses. And then he said to the closest relative, he says, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to Elimelech, our relative, which was Naomi's husband. And so I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here, before these witnesses, and before all the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. No one but you means you're the first in line. There's nobody else ahead of you. And I'm after you. And he said, this relative says, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. And then Boaz says, cool. <laughs> Not that this is the fine print. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, her daughter-in-law, the Moabitess, who's now a widow of the deceased from Malon, Naomi's son, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance on this land. And the closest relatives, like, oh, that's a different story. I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. He was sinful. Let's just be really clear. It was his responsibility, according to God's law, to redeem Ruth. And he acted in sin for selfish reasons. Okay? Let's continue. Verse 7. 
Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm this thing. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the matter of attestation or confirmation. It's like a signature in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, go ahead, you buy it for yourself. And so he removed his sandal. And the removing of the sandal is, it goes back to Genesis, Deuteronomy, and Joshua about taking off your sandal and walking on the ground, the, the promised land that the Lord gave to claim that as your own, okay? So, verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to her husband Elimelech and that belonged to Chilion and Malon, because it then went down to them, but then they passed away as well. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were in the court and the elders, they basically pronounce a blessing. We are witnesses, they say. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, Ruth, May she be like Rachel. Rachel was barren. Ruth, at this point, was barren. So may she be like Rachel, who eventually had kids, and like Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel by the children that they had. And may you achieve wealth and become famous. Wealth in Ephrathah is just another name for Bethlehem. Ephrathah is just another name for Bethlehem, and it means fruitful. And may you become famous. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Same thing, a kinsman redeemer coming in to give child. Through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this woman. And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. And may he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. That's like a blessing. Seven sons is like the ultimate blessing that an Israelite family could have. Verse 16, so Naomi took the child and she put him on her lap and she became his nurse. And the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And so they named him Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of King David, who was ultimately the father of King Jesus. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram, Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon was born Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz was born Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. Church, let's pray. Almighty God, we are... Just so grateful to be here to go through Ruth chapter 4 as we wind down the story of the kinsman redeemer. And in this story of Boaz and Ruth, Lord, it's the story of us. We were lost and we were outside the covenant family of God. But like Boaz, Jesus Christ redeemed us. And we now are part of the family of God. And we, have in, we share in the inheritance and the riches that are ours through Jesus Christ. And so we just thank you so much, Lord, for the work that you've done for us. We were undeserving. Lord, we were just broken, empty because of our sin. And you redeemed us. When we lay at your feet and we call out for you to redeem us, Lord, that's exactly what you do. When we recognize our need for you, just as Ruth recognized her need for a redeemer. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.
Pretty cool. All right. So I want to share something with you out of one of my commentaries that just kind of helps us understand as we exit the book of Ruth, I want us to have some things that we take away. So this is a little bit of a synopsis of sorts, okay? Really, really important that we get this. Okay, so this guy says, this book, the book of Ruth, reveals the providence of God in the way he guided Ruth and Naomi. It encourages me to know, he writes, that God still cares for us even when we are bitter towards him. If you remember at the end of chapter 1, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem and they say, it's Naomi. And she says what? Don't call me Naomi, call me what? Mara, which means bitter. And he says, it encourages me to know that God still cares for us even when we're bitter towards him. We get bitter towards God. We get confused about things. And God still leads us and guides us and cares for us. The book, the book of Ruth, beautifully illustrates God's work of salvation. The story opens with Ruth as an outsider. She's a Moabitess, a stranger. But it ends with Ruth as a member of the covenant community because she married Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. He paid the price for her to be redeemed. But the book also illustrates the believer's deepening relationship with the Lord. Check this out. In chapter 1, Ruth doesn't even know that Boaz exists. In chapter 2, Ruth is a poor laborer, gleaning in the field of Boaz and receiving gifts. The turning point is chapter 3, where Ruth yields herself at the feet of Boaz and believes his promises. What we do when we fall to the feet of Jesus and we believe his promises and we say, you become my redeemer. The result is recorded in chapter 4. Ruth is no longer a poor gleaner, For she now has Boaz, and everything that he owns belongs to her. That's a picture of what's happening when we give our life to Jesus Christ, that everything, we are are heirs of his, we share in his inheritance. Too many of God's people are content to live in chapter 2, picking up the leftovers and doing the best they can in their difficult situation. They want God's gifts, but they don't want a deeper communion with God. What a difference it would make if they would only surrender themselves to the Lord and focus on the giver instead of the gifts. Have you put yourself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest like Ruth did in chapter 3? Until you do, God can never be to you all that he wants to be. The book of Ruth reminds us that God is at work in our world, seeking a bride and reaping a harvest, and we must find our place in his program of winning the lost. Isn't that a great summary of the book of Ruth? Church, here's our outline for today, for Ruth chapter 4. These 22 verses. <laughs> it's all relative. It's all about this relative, this guy. Is it going to be Boaz or is it going to be this guy? It's all relative. And they got to get that worked out. And so the guy says, I ain't going to be me. It better be you, Boaz. And Boaz makes the best buy of his life. He makes the best purchase of his life by purchasing the land of Naomi and by purchasing Ruth as they become the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus Christ, the best by ever. And then, oh boy, they have a son. And it all starts with Obed, which means, by the way, the name Obed means servant. It's where we get obedient. It means servant. Jesus is the ultimate servant that comes from this union. Here's our first stanza, church. It's all relative, verses 1 through 6, okay? 
So let's, um, let's uh, uh, hover through these verses, okay? So verse 1, Boaz goes to the gate, and he sees this guy, and he says, hey, guy, stop and sit down. Then he sees some men, some ten elders, and he says, hey, you guys sit down. Like Boaz is getting after it, right? Okay. Verse 3, and he says to this guy, this relative, hey, Naomi, she's come back. And she's got to sell her land that belonged to Elimelech, her husband, her deceased husband. And so I'm, I'm letting you know, if you want to buy it, do it before these elders. And if you don't, don't. But I will. And the guy says at the end of verse 4, I got it. I'll redeem it. He says, cool. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, to raise up her name, the, the name of her husband on the land. And the guy's like, oh, that's a deal breaker for me. He says, I ain't going to redeem it for myself. I don't want to jeopardize my own inheritance. You go ahead and do it. You can have my right of redemption. I cannot redeem. Oops. The opening of chapter 4 fits perfectly with the ending of chapter 3. So if you remember, Ruth goes to Boaz, and Boaz says, chill, I'm going to handle business. Go home to Naomi. And Naomi says in verse 18 of chapter 3, Look at verse 18. So Naomi says, wait. Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For this guy, Boaz, he ain't going to rest until he has settled it today. And the first word in chapter 4 is the word what? Now. Now. She says, wait. He's going to get after it. And he gets after it when? Right now is when Boaz went to the gate. Here's what I want us to hear, church. When it comes to the redemptive and the restorative and the relational work of our Lord, we can rest assured that He is working on it right now. Whatever it is that the Lord's doing in your life that builds a relationship with Him, that restores you, He's working on it right now. He's always at work. He's tireless. He's perfect, right? He's endless. He's infinite. And He's working on things in our life right now. And that probably doesn't surprise us to know that. We say, well, okay, that makes sense. And perhaps we've even come to expect it. I know God's working. And so we, we're not surprised by that, and we come to expect it. But my question is, what about us? What about our part in this relationship with Jesus? As people who are prone to sin, prone to wander like sheep, prone to our independence, I ask you, what should you be working on right now? Now, we know he's working on restorative relationship, a redemptive relationship, relational relationship. He's working on it all the time right now. And I think that sometimes through the days, through the weeks, through the months, through the years, God's been wanting you to work on something in your relationship with him. And he's saying right now. It might be sin that you need to deal with. It might be some part of apathy in your relationship with him where he's saying, hey, you need to bolster your prayer life. You need to be in the word more. You need to be in fellowship more. You need, need, need. Whatever it might be. And we keep putting it off and we keep putting it off. Well, he's getting after it right now and he's challenging you and I to get after it right now as well. I would argue that there's some things that many of us have wrestled with that we should have taken care of a long time ago. And God is saying to you, handle it now. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation where you're set free from those things. See, Paul writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the second letter he wrote. He says in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, he says to Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. 
We are to be diligent to present ourselves to God as a worker. There's a lot of things we may not have. There's a lot of talents or skills that we may not have. That's me. But one thing I am is I am a workman for the Lord. I I don't think I'm going to be ashamed when I sit before the throne of, of, of the Almighty God because I'm just a workman. I don't have a lot of things, but I know I can work. I am diligent to present myself approved to God. We're to work and to work and to work, and we're to do it now. Good word for us, church. Let's look at verse 2. So he took 10 men of the elders of the city, and he says, sit down. So they sat down. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, it's just funny. Yeah. Hey, guys, sit down. They're like, okay, Boaz is just the man. So check this out. In Old Testament law, how many witnesses were necessary for a legal transaction? Does anybody know? Two or three? Is that what you guys said? Yeah. Some places it says two, at least two witnesses, and a lot of places it says two to three. So two to three witnesses were necessary for a legal transaction. How many did Boaz get in verse two? He gets ten. The dude gets ten guys, man. Boaz... In his redemption of Ruth, he goes above and beyond that which was required in order to redeem Ruth. He goes above and beyond. Church, we serve a God who goes above and beyond for us. Can I get an amen? Amen. What about you and I, though? Do we go above and beyond for the Lord? Do we go above and beyond for his people? Do we go above and beyond for his purposes? Or do we tend to do the bare minimum, the things that are required? What are the minimum things I need to do today to be pleasing to God? We check the boxes and the rest of the day is mine. (laughs) Do we tend to do the bare minimum? Do we tend to just do what's required? Or, or, Or do we, like Boaz and like Christ, are we willing to go above and beyond when the moment calls? I want to reread through verses 3 through 6. In verses 3 through 6, there's a lot of moving parts, and that's what kind of freaks this guy out, okay? So in verse 3, he says, hey, the, you know, Naomi, she's come back from Moab. There's this piece of land that was her husband Elimelech. That's verse 3. If you want to buy it, buy it. If not, I'll buy it. And he says, I'll buy it in verse 4. And then Boaz says, okay, now in, on top of Naomi and on top of this land, there's this woman named Ruth, the Moabitess. And so you're going to have to have a son, and, and he's going to have the inheritance. And then the closest relative says, well, then I'm out. Okay? <laughs> so there's, there's, there's lots going on here. You got Naomi, you got the land, you've got Ruth, you have this child that's not even born yet, but there needs to be a child, and then you got the inheritance of who gets what, okay? And so this relative who has this opportunity to redeem, does he redeem? No. The relative was not interested in the full redemptive work that was necessary in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. That relative wasn't interested in a full redemption. He was more interested in a partial redemption. Can you imagine? But, if, you get, if your mind hasn't gone there already, our Lord redeems every need, every broken part, every void. He redeems everything. Everything about you and all your shortcomings, everything about me and all my shortcomings, every sin, every shortcoming, every weakness, everything imaginable, the Lord redeems us completely, everything. 
And any time we believe something different, that's a lie from the pit of hell, that somehow you've missed God's complete redemption. He redeems every part that is broken. Thank you, Lord. Our Redeemer redeems us completely and He restores us fully. Our second stanza, verses 7 through 12 of chapter 4. Let's read 7 through 12. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm. A man removed a sandal, gave it to another, and that's how they signed the deal. And so the closest relative says, buy it for yourself, and he immediately removes his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the people, you are witnesses. I'm buying from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, her husband, and all that belonged to the boys that are all three have passed away. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brother's and from the court of his birthplace, and you are witnesses. Verse 11. And all the people were in the court, and they, they do this blessing, the, the people and the elders, and we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and like Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel by providing children. And may you achieve wealth and become famous. And moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so in this stanza, so the guy's like, he says, I'm out in verses one through six. And so Boaz says, cool, we got to sign the deal. And so in verses seven and eight, they do this custom, this sandal custom, this sandal exchange to seal the deal. So in verses one through six, we see that there's a full redemptive process, right? And the one guy, the one relative says, I don't want to do the full redemption. And Boaz says, oh no, the full redemption is necessary. So not only in verses 1 through 6 do we see that we're fully redeemed, but then in 7 through 12, we're appropriately redeemed as well. Not, okay, so follow. Boaz didn't just do the right thing by fully redeeming us. He did the right thing right, okay? He, wanted, he, he needed to do exactly how that was supposed to go down. So he's not like saying, hey, I'm going to do the whole deal, but I want to do it my way. No, he did the whole deal and he did it the right way. Okay, it is imperative that we understand that the fullness, the fullness of our redemption, as well as the fullness of our redeemer. That's the point. There's the fullness of our redemption and there's the fullness of our redeemer. Boaz did the full redemption and he was fully the redeemer. That's a representation of Jesus Christ. I know what you need and I know how to provide it. We're fully redeemed by the one who fully redeems us. Okay. I'm going to talk about that towards the end of the message a little bit more. Okay. So, this whole sandal thing. I don't know if you've actually tried it. I tried it. I thought it'd be pretty cool to try it. So, when I was asking my wife's hand in marriage, I went and talked to her, to her dad, and, and I tried. I did the whole sandal thing with him. And he took, he took the sandal, and he smacked me on the head, and he said, don't be an idiot. Um, stay married, and she ain't coming back. And that was my sandal experience. And so, I'm here to tell you, It worked. I love God's word. I didn't do the sandal thing, but I couldn't help making up that story. I just think it's a cool story, man. It's like, that's just so much easier. Like, hey, who's got a pen? And I think that's what happened. Like, nobody had a pen, right? Like, hey, you got a pen? I ain't got a pen. Pens haven't even been made yet. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, let's just use our sandal. Like, I don't know how that evolved, but anyway. So check this out. In verses 9 and 10, we see some purchases. There's two purchases being made in verses 9 and 10. 
In verse 9, there's land being purchased. Boaz says to the elders, you are witnesses today that I've bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and Chilion and Malon. That's the property. And then he says, moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess. So he, that word bought in verse 9 is the same exact Hebrew word of acquired in verse 10. It means to purchase with money. It doesn't just mean, oh, I, I inherited her or I, uh, she was given to me. No, he purchased land and he purchased this woman. And so that language might seem kind of odd to us, right? I mean... Usually we don't buy our wives, right? I didn't purchase my wife. I've been paying annual payments ever since we got married. And it's a, I, I would have been cheaper having paid something up front than what I'm paying every year. That's another story. Men, you get me, right? Okay. So that language might seem kind of odd to think that he purchased her. But that's exactly what he did. He acquired, he bought, he purchased with money Ruth to be his wife. But what it points to, church, is Jesus Christ. Check this out. Go to 1 Corinthians 6 on the screens, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, he says, Do you not know, church of Corinth, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? You have been bought with a price. We've been purchased. And the price was Jesus' blood. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And then in the book of Acts, Paul is writing this. Paul says, be on guard for yourselves. He's talking to some elders in a church. And for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Overseers, shepherds, elders, pastors, same thing. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. I think Russ, is Russ in here? Russ is back there, one of our elders. Bruce is here, one of our elders. Myself, Pastor Dave, right? We're elders. This is to us. This is a call to us just saying, hey, God is saying, I purchased this church with my blood. Do your job as godly men, as elders. That's what's happening here in the book book of Ruth. In verses 11 and 12, we see blessings being pronounced over Boaz and Ruth in verses 11 and 12. Let's read those. Verse 11 and 12, mostly 11. The people were in the court, and the elders as well, and they say, we're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman like like Rachel and like Leah. And may you, Boaz, achieve wealth and become famous. Okay. Wealth and fame. That word wealth, if you remember last week. So in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11... Ruth is referred to as what kind of a woman? Do you remember that? Excellent. Okay. Ruth is a woman of excellence, it says in Ruth 3, uh, 3, verse 11. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, Boaz is called a a wealthy man. It's the same Hebrew word. So he's a man of excellence. She's a man, a woman of excellence. It's the same word here as well. And so they ask that Boaz achieve wealth, or excellence and fame. That word wealth, it's hayil, H-A-Y-I-L. It means three things. It means wholeness, so they're pronouncing wholeness over Boaz, excellence over Boaz, and power over Boaz. Who does that sound like? 
Jesus is the ultimate person of wholeness and excellence and power. And they also bless him with fame, it says in verse 11. So Boaz does indeed achieve the things that they pronounce over him, this, this fullness, this, this, this wholeness, this excellence. But so does Christ, doesn't he? It's a foreshadowing of the person of Jesus Christ. This blessing on Boaz is really the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. So indeed, church, the most famous person to come from Bethlehem is not Boaz, but is the excellent and the whole and the powerful person of Jesus Christ. Check this out. I don't know about your experience. I've been a believer a long time. I'm 54. I got saved at 15. I've been a believer almost 40 years. I've talked to a lot of people about who they think Jesus is. But I'm telling you, my experience, regardless of what people say about, about who he is, whether he's God's son, whether he's the Messiah, the Savior, whatever they say about who he is, nothing but excellence is ever spoken of Jesus. That's just been my experience. It's interesting. And so the, the, the blessing pronounced over Boaz is exactly what happens to Jesus. His name is the most famous name to come out of Bethlehem. And his name is the most powerful, the most full, and the most excellent name to ever come out of Bethlehem. I just love that. So, that's Boaz. What about that other guy? What happened to him? What about this dude, this close relative guy? He's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 12. He's mentioned in chapter 4, verse 1, twice. He's mentioned in verse 3 of chapter 4, verse 6, and verse 8. Six times this relative or friend is mentioned. But all he's called is relative or friend. That's the guy that didn't redeem Ruth. <laughs> After giving his sandal to Boaz, this unknown relative disappears into anonymity. He was disobedient. Perhaps it's poetic justice I suppose, for refusing to redeem Ruth. But Boaz has been remembered in every succeeding generation because he was obedient. That's just powerful. We're talking about Boaz right now. And this other guy, we don't even know his name. Oh, church, the blessings that we miss, like this man, when we only see the burden of obedience. He had a responsibility to be obedient, but he only saw the burden of his obedience and completely missed the blessing of his obedience. And so I ask you, what do you want to be remembered for? And who do you want to be remembered by? That relative and Boaz answer this question differently. What do you want to be remembered for? And who do you want to be remembered by? His audience has come and gone, Boaz's audience remains forever. Every time we talk about the book of Ruth, and every time you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, guess who's mentioned there? Boaz. Okay, our third stanza. Oh boy. Oh boy, our third stanza. So, uh, let's just uh, skim through those uh, verses, 13 through 22. Okay, so Boaz takes Ruth. She becomes his wife. She gets pregnant. They have a son. That's verse 13. And the women say, blessed are you, Naomi. You, may his name become famous in Israel. May, you also, um, may he also be a restorer and a sustainer for your daughter. She loves you and is better to you than seven sons. And then Naomi takes the child and she becomes his nurse. And they give him a name in verse 17, Obed. 
And then it goes through the lineage, ten generations, all the way to King David. So there was a movie in 1994. Does anybody remember any movies from 1994? You know, just off the top of your head. All right, I'll help you out. There was a movie called Three Weddings and a Funeral, of course, 1994. I should have known. (laughs) Three Weddings and a Funeral. The Book of Ruth, Three Funerals, and a Wedding. That's the Book of Ruth. It starts off with three funerals. Elimelech dies, Malon dies, Chilion dies, and at the end of Ruth, they get married. It's three funerals and a wedding. That's how you remember the book of Ruth. Okay, meaningless information. I just thought it was cute. Check this out. For three and a half chapters, for three and a half chapters, we're unpacking this story, the challenge of Ruth, the challenge of Naomi. Husbands that have passed away, being childless, not having a kinsman redeemer. Naomi and Ruth faced this. This is what was going on for the first three and a half chapters. We are all about the story. There's a famine in Bethlehem that causes Naomi and Elimelech to go to Moab with their two sons, Malon and Chilion. Elimelech dies. The sons die as well. And there's two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah stays in Moab. Ruth goes back to Bethlehem. Without a child, without a husband, doesn't know a soul. It's a challenge. And then we see just the challenge of their life there start to unpack. Okay, so we got three and a half chapters of just the challenges of life amongst these people. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. We spent three and a half chapters unpacking all the detail of the challenges of their life. She gets married, she gets pregnant, and she has a son in one verse. Doesn't that just seem kind of not cool? Like, why can't we talk about these great three things, right? I'm married. Let's talk about that for three and a half chapters. I'm pregnant. Let's talk about that for three and a half chapters. I have a son. Let's talk about that for three and a half chapters. No. We spend three and a half chapters unpacking the challenges, the problems, how God's moving, all these things. And then in one verse, it's all good. It's all fixed. Why? Look at this. Think about this. Put this on the screen. Too often, we live for the moment, but we fail to live in the moment. Okay? And so our life becomes about these for the moments. For the moment, and then everything just kind of stinks in between, and then we're hoping for the next moment. And then everything stinks in between, and then we're hoping for the next moment. Remember when Boaz said to Ruth, you chill here, you wait, I'm going to get after it. And then he, he blesses her, and he says, do not fear. He wants her to be blessed in the waiting. He's saying, don't, don't just live for the moment, live in the moment. I'm guilty of this. It's like everything will be perfect when, when that moment comes. And that moment comes, and then it's gone. And then we're like, oh, everything stinks until the next moment. And God is saying, live in the moment. Don't live for the moment. Those things are important, but you've got to know how to live in the moment. You have to know how to trust God in the moment, not just for the moment. Because here's what happens. When the for the moments come, if we hover in verse 13 for three and a half chapters, you know what we do when we live in for the moment moments? We forget about God. Everything's great. We forget about them. We don't rely on them anymore. All the things that I was shooting for, they're here. And so I'm resting in that. And so I say it this way, that for the moment, for the moment is usually about us. In the moment is usually about the Lord. And there are times when I've just blown it, perhaps like you, where I'm just like, Lord, I just want to get to that moment. I want to be at for the moment. He's like, dude, you got to be in the moment. 
You know that about me. God's saying, be stout in the moment. Because that's just most of life. Most of our life is just being in the moment. And we have for the moment times. And that's just really an anticipation of heaven because who wants this if heaven's awaiting us, right? So we can't just not do this. We have to do life. But the for the moment is when he comes and gets us. I just think that's a profound part in the book of Ruth. It's like all that happens in one verse. It's like, why can't we talk about the for the moment stuff? He's like, because you got to learn how to live in the moment. We know how to live for the moment, but not necessarily in the moment. Does that make sense? I hope so. Consider this as we wind this down. Ruth was barren in Moab, but she gives birth miraculously in Bethlehem. There would be another miraculous birth that would take place in Bethlehem. Do you know that? <laughs> Obed becomes the father of Jesse, who became the father of King David. And Christ is referred to in Scripture as the son of David. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Check this out. This is just so important about why it is good to be obedient. Go to Matthew chapter 1 where you'll find the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where we see this story. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Not that other guy. It was Boaz. And then Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. So, in wrapping this up, this is a book of redemption. Ruth is a book of being redeemed, of redemption. The word redeem, the word redeem means to set free by paying a price. That's what it means to redeem. To set free by paying a price. When it comes to spiritual redemption, all people are in bondage to sin or to Satan and are unable to set themselves free. The reason they're unable to set themselves free is they can't pay the price. Only faith in Jesus Christ can set us free because only he can pay the price of sin, which is perfection, which is holiness. And so, not everyone could perform the duties of a kinsman redeemer. Boaz could pay um, could perform the duties of a kinsman redeemer, and so could this other guy. He just chose not to. Okay? Here's the three things that had to happen for a kinsman redeemer. One, he had to be a near relative. A kinsman redeemer had to be a near or a related redeemer. This is why Christ took on flesh and blood and died on the cross for us as a man, so that he can be a kinsman, near kinsman redeemer to us. Two, the kinsman redeemer had to be able to pay the price. So he had to be a near kinsman redeemer, but he also had to be able to pay the price. Nobody but Jesus Christ is rich enough to pay the price of sin. And then three, that person, that kinsman redeemer, had to be willing, right? So they had to be a near relative, they had to be able to pay the price, and they had to be willing to pay the price, not just able. That guy, that relative, he was not willing. He was able. He was a near kinsman. He was able to pay the price, but he wasn't willing to pay the price. A number of times in the New Testament, people say to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, can you make me clean? And Jesus replies, I am willing. Amen? We serve a God that is like us, who came down in the flesh, able to pay the price, and was willing to pay the price for our redemptive work. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite up the worship team to close this in song. As they're working their way down, I want to pray us out. If you need prayer after service, please see our prayer team down in the corner. And 
Um, if you're new with us and you're thinking of going to pizza with pastors, I'm just reminding you, we'll see you upstairs at 1215 up in room 210. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this book of Ruth. We've enjoyed it, Lord. It's not just a great love story of a man and a woman, Lord, but it points to the love story that you have, the love that you have for us and the way that you have redeemed us. You've redeemed us fully because you are fully our redeemer. You're near to us, you're able, and you're willing, and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.